Hi everyone, welcome back. This is uh, now 2021 uh, and Focus returns uh, as usually towards the end of January. Uh, I'm Andy Corrigan. Uh, with me as always is other Andrew, Andrew Brown. Hello. And uh, Tori Wassana. Hello. And uh, yeah, this is kind of a big catch-up episode. I'm going to keep us off format again. There, there was some minor news about uh, what exactly Bowser's Fury is, but you know, we're like a week or so away from that game. That can wait. We'll talk about that when it releases. Um, I don't think there was much else for news. Other than the Monster Hunter demo released, but I didn't get a chance to try that. Uh, I was hoping to sneak it in today, but I didn't. Uh, so yeah, other than that, we're just going to roll through what we've been playing while, we're, while we've been off. Um, so let's start probably at the low point. Um, and it's fresh in my menu uh, memory because I just completed it like 15 minutes ago. Uh, we're going to talk about Red Colony. Uh, both Andrew and I got sent codes for this one. Tori, I'm just going to go ahead and assume you haven't tried it. No. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, so Red Colony is a side-scrolling Resident Evil-style game, like similar to classic Resident Evil. Uh, it's got a anime art style. It has art that sort of hints at titillation that the the game doesn't deliver on, even though it's not, you know, I wouldn't want it to because that's not my sort of thing. And it's like really super short. Uh, And you follow a character called Maria who wakes up in a warehouse on the outskirts of a Mars colony uh, where there's been a zombie outbreak. She's the head of a lab that uh, everyone is blaming for the zombies, uh, and she has to try and rescue her husband and daughter, who are all the way at the other side of the map. So the first thing I want to talk about, Andrew, is this uh, art style. So the, the the cover art for this has the, the main character against the chain link fence getting groped by zombies, uh, which, you know, well, didn't exactly adhere me to the idea of wanting to play it. And whatever else you want to say about the game, at least that doesn't actually happen in the game, which makes the cover art even worse. <laughs> Bizarre, yeah. It's really weird. But the, the thing I wanted to... I, I sort of went in with that giving it the benefit of the doubt in terms of uh, thinking about anime titillation and 80s horror titillation. Uh, like 80s horror movies uh, had a, a whole thing about... Uh, like these titillating moments with you know horror violence. Um, I was thinking they were trying to tap into that, but it's definitely more the the anime side of thing. Um, Maria is a she she's an anime doll, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, she uh, the, this is the thing that you can say most about the art style is that it's side scrolling. The main character Maria is seen mostly from the side whatever boob is at the back of the perspective is always bigger than the one nearest uh, they have <laughs> the artist doesn't know how perspective works and they have boob physics to match uh, Dead or Alive or actually I think Dead or Alive looks a bit more tasteful other things that come up in, in gameplay you walk around for a decent section without a gun but she still walks around as if she's holding one <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, that looks better when you get a pistol but when you get a shotgun she still holds it like a pistol no <laughs> the the art style also causes a couple of like 
really weird dissonant moments. So like you, you'll be talking to a lady behind the door who is like, you're saying you're sorry that she's infected and she's like nah I'm an old lady you know I'm gonna die soon anyway uh, but her character art she looks like she's 16 it's, it's so bizarre uh, the artist didn't know how to draw old ladies um, no 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 that's the genetic engineering everybody looks young forever <laughs> I like that Justin Timberlake movie what was it called? I don't know which one. Trolls About Time <laughs> I think something like that yeah I can't remember Positives. I, I I do have some. Um, the developers have have made this with an obvious love for the original Resident Evil. And Dino Crisis. <laughs> yeah, Dino Crisis. I was I wasn't going to get into that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, everything from the area transitions uh, to the dude on the balcony covered in crows. Yeah. Uh, you've got the USB keys, which are your saves uh, that you use at three D printers, which are obviously analogs for the ribbon and typewriters in the original. The puzzles, I wasn't too angry at the puzzles, although they mostly amounted to a locked container and then <laughs> a code for that being five steps away, or the clue for the code being five steps away. Even if it doesn't make any sense, like if it's just like a poster on yeah. the wall that has numbers on it that are just happened to be nearby, it's like, okay, that's probably mm-hmm. the code to this nearest safe, but... It was silly, but I, I did enjoy the puzzles, at least. Yeah, some of them were a lot cleverer, like there was the, the modern art safe. Mm-hmm. So it had a poster on it that like modern art, and you had to figure out what the code was from there. So the, the 3D printers are also where you get your weapons. You have to collect, like, um, so it's not, I was going to call it toner, the plastic to, to print things in uh, a 3D printer. I realized towards the end that I didn't really need to fire a gun at all, because I had the knife, and you can hit them, walk away, hit them, walk away, <laughs> hit them, walk away, and nothing, there's no enemy change-up, yeah. even though it hints at it. Um, like, the the game strongly hints that you're going to come across its version of Hunter. Literally never happens. <laughs> yeah, it's the same enemies all the way through it. <laughs> Which is disappointing. Yeah, and the, the story just doesn't go anywhere. Like, the reason behind everything that happens is so laughably bad that I just can't even... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do love it when you walk into a secret lab and it's got lots of signage everywhere that says secret lab <laughs> I, I'm not mad that I spent time with it because it's such a short game that you know I don't feel like it robbed me of anything um, I'm not that offended uh, by some of the the art style you know as much as I'm making fun of it it's given me a laugh if, if nothing else I just wish I think if it was if the puzzles were less linear and there was more emphasis on exploration, and if the art style was um, more mature and, frankly, better, uh, I think I probably would have enjoyed it quite a lot more. Yeah, Andrew, where did you land on this one? I almost liked it, just as like a $7 Resident Evil kind of homage, I guess. But, yeah, like yeah. I was just embarrassed that anybody would expect me to find this game titillating because it, it is not <laughs> in any sort of way i'm just constantly caught between being mortified and uh, amused at the way everybody in this game looks <laughs> mm-hmm. if they could take that like obvious love for for it and and work on that i i, I feel like they could make a decent game uh, I, in the future i'm fully uh, expecting to play Blue Colony 
sometime in, in the next couple of years, and it's going to be the same thing, but Dino Crisis, because the ending yeah. sequel drops Dino Crisis pretty hard. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> with the ending part, like the, the zombies are caused by dinosaur DNA, which just makes no sense. I know zombies are a stretch, you know, you have to suspend your disbelief. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's a funny game. If anything, Tori, I think you should play it just to see how ri- ridiculous it is. I think my tolerance for um, games like this is much lower, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, yeah I, th- I think we've said all we can on that one. Uh, so let's move on. I am going to talk about Shady Part of Me, which was uh, part of one of the Nindies uh, before, so the Nindie Directs before Christmas. Uh, I think it came out on the same day as that last Nindies Direct, uh, and it was the one of the the three that I picked as the one that looked most interesting to me. Uh, Tori, I think you expressed an interest in this. Did you get to it? Uh, not yet, no. But okay. I think I remember this one. Shady Part of Me, it's a, an indie game, obviously, because it was in the Ninja's Direct, as I just mentioned. It's kind of a, a Limbo-style platformer, so platforming isn't really the point. It's just more of the, the vehicle from which you move around the world. It starts off like Limbo, you play as a shadow, and dialogue kind of appears as text when you run around the world. And then soon the, the shadow character drops into like a 3D world where... Uh, a real little girl will join her in the adventure. And then the whole conceit of the game is that you switch between the two, so you have to manipulate something in the other character's plane of existence to allow the other one through to new areas. That's sort of how the, the gameplay progresses, and you know it becomes quite puzzly as you get through it. Uh, so as the shadow, uh, you exist in the light. Uh, and then as the, the little girl in the 3D world, uh, who's voiced by Hannah Murray of... Uh, Game of Thrones fame, she played Gilly uh, she's scared of the light and is unable to step into it uh, from that point you can switch between them any time and then you get to uh, each puzzle which the game calls a session that's really significant um, and yeah so it plays into that whole, just trying to create a path for the other one to progress to the next session so the story as as the, the word session hints is a metaphor for some heavy stuff Uh it's about something that the girl is going through, and both characters are the same person, so you can probably see where I'm, I'm going for that. Uh, but the the way the story unfolds is through... Uh, it's narrated from the 3D little girl, and then joined in with stuff from the shadow girl. Uh, there's elements to this where you will be... It'll give you a line about, say... Uh, the little girl's worried about everyone looking and judging her. Uh, and then if you get one of the game's collectibles, which are birds, it'll add like contextual stuff into that. So it'll add the word probably into the text version of the word. Um, and there are a bunch of these to, to collect before you finish. Because it deals with heavy stuff, what it tries to do is it gives you like one or two impactful statements during each session. But because the, the puzzles so, are so long and the statements are so few... You sort of lose the pacing of the overall message. It just loses that impact because it's not like a con- continuous drip feed of uh, of the statements that give you the story. And also, like if you if you fail a uh, fail a session, you'll have to start it again. Uh, so then you just get the repeat dialogue, and it's it just sort of 
just ruins the pacing and, and sort of uh, gets in the way of the point the game's trying to make. One thing that it does do, though, is you can rewind at any time. So, you know, when you fail, you can just rewind back to a previous point. Um, that's neat and kind of braid-like, which, you know, this kind of, kind of sits in that same same bracket as those. Uh, and uh, the the art style is... Uh, it's got some beautiful, like, washed-out watercolour, but the it, it's very purposefully dark uh, to fit in the the story all these elements do work in together wonderfully with the game's narrative and its themes I'm trying really hard not to spoil it so I'm probably describing it terribly um, but yeah uh, the I think the the outcome is uh, good and powerful, there's just elements in that that prevent it from feeling as impactful as it could and that's just down to the pacing which is kind of unavoidable because of the type of game it is um, I definitely recommend it. The puzzles are fun. Didn't really get stuck on any. Uh, more uh, the ones I did fail with ten- tended to be more like timing or or skill based. Um, but it's, it's really not a difficult game, and it, it's pretty short. I think if it was any longer uh, and took longer to get to the point, I, I, th- I think I would have uh, found that a bit frustrating. But uh, it sort of rounds out at, at just the right time frame. I definitely recommend that one, uh, Andrew. Did you express interest in checking this one? I expressed interest. I still haven't played it. Uh, well, I definitely recommend it. I, I, I think it, it hits home well. Uh, just uh, takes a little while to get there and uh, sort of stumbles in between. Okay, so the the next thing on the show notes is Cyber Shadow. Andrew, this was another one that was on the, the Nindies Directs, and if there was any game on that direct that I would have said was your thing... Uh, this would have been it. And this was it. Cyber Shadow just came out this week, and I played it, and I enjoyed it. Uh, it's a retro platformer. It was the f- not not actually the first game from Yacht Club Games that they published, but did not develop. It's actually their second, but it's their first original game because uh, the last one they published was a a compilation of. Another game whose name I've forgotten. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it was a Mega Man ripoff. Uh, but anyway, so you probably have some expectation coming from Yacht Club Games, who again is the publisher, not the developer of this game, uh, mm. which is not necessarily an unfounded assumption. This game does have many similarities to the Shovel Knight games, particularly in the fact that it's a, a retro 8-bit aesthetic, and you explore... Uh, linear levels that you select from a world map and there are upgrades that you find in them that can expand your life points and expand your your spirit points which you use to cast your special abilities in that ways it is very similar to Shovel Knight but the way the game plays is completely different because this is more of a a ninja platformer Uh, and if you go back far enough in games history, back to like the 8-bit era, the the NES, the Sega Master System, for some reason there were a lot of ninja platformers to the point that they were their own genre. If you go back that far, mm-hmm. and this this game is very much in in the spirit of those games, particularly Ninja Gaiden. You play as this character named Shadow who survives this explosion at the center of. This place called Mecha City, but they barely survive, so they have to be have their life saved by 
having their body basically turned into a cyborg and then they're placed into stasis. And then when they come out of stasis, having fully recovered, for the most part, they haven't gotten all their abilities back. They find that Mecha City's robots that formerly served as their workforce have now turned against them and are killing everybody, including the other members of Shadow's ninja clan. So Shadow has to go out and put a stop to all of this. And it's a pretty interesting game. It's a very challenging game. It's not like Shovel Knight where I would rank it, you know, fairly challenging, but I, I wouldn't deter anyone from playing it. Cyber Shadow, if you are not a platforming enthusiast, I doubt that you're going to finish this game. This game really put even me through my paces, uh, not least <laughs> because of all the ninja platforming skills that you unlock. There's a down thrust that you unlock. You have to bounce off of enemies to get through a few locations. Like the entire last level is climbing a vertical tower that has no ladders and you have to down thrust off the top of enemies to get up it. It's very challenging, not least because of how easy it is to get hit by enemies and knocked to the bottom and you have to start all over again. And the down thrust does not function at all like it does in Zelda. So if you're like me and you played a lot of Zelda 2 and it's just intuitive to you how the down thrust works, I was really thrown by the down thrust in Cyber Shadow because it does not function in the same way. <laughs> I kept trying to play it like Zelda 2 and so I kept uh, messing myself up. And then the other ability that really affects movement is there's this jump dash where you jump in the air and Shadow will just fly forward when you attack and if you hit an enemy then you can do it again and you can do it again and again and again and there are a few locations in the game where you're kind of intended to do that to get across pits but it can be very challenging because if you don't hit the enemy just right or if you don't time things just right you're just gonna fall straight into a pit and die uh, so I, I I had to find the balance between doing these really technical like ninja jumping abilities and also just finding places where I had to restrain myself and more slowly work through an area which is actually even more difficult but it was really the only way I could do it because those ninja jumps were just I just couldn't do them. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it was really challenging it's a really technical game but I did still really enjoy it and I think if, if you're more on the challenge end of uh, being a platforming fan, you know, versus, you know, someone who just plays casually for fun, uh, I think you would really enjoy Cyber Shadow. I, I thought this was a great throwback title, just very hard. Nice. Uh, yeah, no, probably not the sort of thing I'll look to play. Um, I love Shovel Knight, but yeah. Yeah, I've never really had that much of a history with those old school ninja games I, I played a shinobi game on the 3ds that was okay tori we haven't heard you talk much today uh so super meat boy forever i think that's one of yours yes it is where to begin with this one i was dying for more super meat boy for a very long time even though i never beat the first one because it was actually really challenging i always appreciated what it kind of put forward into game design in general with you die, you just get immediately back into it and try again. Um, and I think Celeste was like the best example of re in recent times of kind of elaborating on that mechanic. Super Meat Boy Forever is still a platformer, but it's an auto runner. Uh, you do not control 
your character, which is either Super Meat Boy, well, Meat Boy rather, himself, or Bandage Girl. And I think there are other unlockable characters, but I think they're just cosmetic. I could only get through the first world. I appreciate what it's doing, but it's just, it's not clicking for me like the first one did. And I think just the auto running, just having that one bit of lack of control is just killing it for me, unfortunately. Because it's all about timing jumps and platforming and... If you remember from the first Super Meat Boy, it was very precise. You needed to, to hit buttons at the very, like, almost to the millisecond right time. And this just kind of removes a little bit of agency from you in every aspect. Like, the levels are designed around it, but it just feels like you lose that little bit of control, so it just feels extra fiddly when you just miss a jump. Because what else can you do? It's, it's just kind of like trying to figure out the exact timing of a particular button press rather than the timing and positioning. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's not clicking with me for that reason alone. There was one level that I was just, it was pretty early on and I just kept on beating my head against the wall and I was just realizing that I wasn't having fun with this one particular moment at the start of a level because I was pushing the buttons at the right time, in my opinion, and it wasn't really encouraging me to try something different because it's an auto-runner. Yeah, like there's only one right way to do it. Yeah. So, I don't know. It it, it just seems to be kind of like a inconsistent difficulty sort of thing. And if I was encountering that in the first world... It's kind of put me off on um, continuing playing. Like, I, I will try and go back to it. Maybe I'll play it in bursts. Mm -hmm. Everything else is fantastic. The music, the presentation, that fully animated cutscenes. Like, that part is superb. But the, the gameplay, it, it's just, it's always a shame when it's the gameplay that's the, the part that doesn't click. And I'm not, I'm mm -hmm. specifically not trying to say it's bad gameplay. Because I, I do think to a degree it is personal taste, but it's just it, that auto run changes everything, that, that game feel from the first game so much. It's it's fascinating in a way of how different it feels, but um, it, it just, it's not feeling like Meat Boy to me. So it's a disappointment so far, but I'm going to try and stick with it to see if, if, um, if I feel any different about it. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, that's a shame. Uh, I, I know that that franchise is, is ever popular. I've seen some other people bring it up that you know. I think there's a mod to turn off the auto running, and I think that's a mistake as well. Mm -hmm. Like it is designed it's around it. Around yeah, but yeah, it's it's just a tricky thing to try and say it's good or bad. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I didn't even think of picking this up because I've never played the original. It's not to say I don't like those uh, super hard platformers. You know, I love Celeste. Um, I adored Super One More Jump, which reminds me I haven't finished. And that's also an kind of like a auto runner, isn't it? Um, it is, and I, I wonder which way the influence went between those two games. Mm -hmm. So that's that. Uh, Okay, so the next one I'm going to talk about, well, let's get some of these uh, sporty ones out of the way. Uh, 
So I'll start with Football Manager Touch 21. Um, not much to say, you know, Football Manager is like a, you know what you're getting. Um, for people who like football, it's comfort food, you know what you're getting, there's going to be improvements, there's going to be uh, new elements that have come in, such in like real world football, like rule changes and all that sort of stuff. Um, the thing that they touted here in this release on Switch is that it had a new reworked UI for console. Football Manager as a series has always been one that has struggled to have a suitable UI on console. Uh, for my money, the best one they ever had was on... Uh, I think it was Football Manager 2005 on PSP. I think that was my favourite UI. It was proper, like, simplified. Here, because the game is obviously more complex than it used to be, so the touch version is actually like a scaled-back version of the full PC game. So in the PC game, you have to deal with, like, media. You talk to your players one-on-one, listen to their concerns. you got to address all that sort of stuff. This strips all of that out. You're just signing players you're playing the matches and doing the tactics that's about it uh, so how this one does it though because it's still got more information than, than previous games uh, it splits the screens into blocks that you navigate to using the analog stick use the d-pad for the finer options in those blocks however some of these things are like three levels deep so you actually do the right analog stick then the d-pad then you hit the a button and then you can do the the finer details it takes a while to get used to. Uh, you can click one of the analog sticks and get a cursor at any time, and of course you can use the touchscreen. Um, but, you know, we've, we've discussed many times I, I don't like using the touchscreen very often uh, as a control method. So that, that uh, navigation system took me a little while to work out. I have had a glitch where uh, sometimes the finer details box will just disappear and you have to move to another block and move back to make it reappear. Um, kind of baffling. It's had an update. I've seen that uh, since as well, so that's disappointing. But yeah, other than that, it's you know, it's it's Football Manager as as I know and love it. I've just finished my first season. Uh, I won the the league on the final day. Uh, I think comfortable for one win against Newcastle. I then lost the Champions League final, which was disappointing. But then I went and bought the best player in the world afterwards because I'm rich because I won the league. Uh, yeah, so now I'm most of the way into my second season and still loving it. It's sort of been, it's I've been playing it on my light as like a pre-sleep thing, uh, so it's been pretty good for that. Get a couple of games out of the way at bedtime. Um, yeah, fly through seasons pretty quickly that way. Okay, sports. I'll continue on with sports or kind of sports, racing sports, right? Yeah, yeah. So I got a uh, Need for Speed Hot Pursuit for Christmas. Um, however. I felt bad that I didn't finish Burnout Paradise before I started it, so I went back to Burnout Paradise. So, uh, not much to add to that other than you know what we talked about the week it was uh, released. But uh, when I went back to it, I thought I had ages to go. I had like one license to finish. Um, I think I dropped it because I was put off because it was like forty races and that felt really overwhelming. But I, I actually polished it off in one afternoon because uh, of that pretty need for speed guilt. The only complaint that I have about Burnout Paradise is that I wish you unlocked a fast travel at some point. Um, it's against the design philosophy because they they want you to rely on your memory of the streets. Um, they also um, they want you to explore and find things, so I, I can get that. But I got really fed up of having a race that started in the city side of the map and ended up on the western side of the map where there's like 
comparatively much less to do and then you have to drive all the way back to the right side of the map to to find new races and events um that bugged me a little but other than that i I still think that's a a terrific port of a great racing game so with that i started need for speed hot pursuit um which is another criterion uh, racer Uh, andrew i know you expressed interest in this interest yeah so so what i'm going to tell you will will either uh, persuade or dissuade so uh, I went into it, I have never played it before, I went into it assuming it was going to be like another Criterion open world racer. It's not, so I think that's probably the thing where Andrew would not enjoy it as much. Um, it's got a mission structure, it's got it's got set tracks, they're like point, uh, point A to point B, there's, there's no like um, track racing or anything like that. You unlock missions for those locations as you play through it. So the first one will just be a, a typical race. Uh, another one will have a different element. I'm going to get into those soon. But then as you play more, you'll unlock stuff in previous tracks that you've done. So there's a lot to unlock and a lot to do. But it, it does lack that um, exploration stuff that Andrew enjoyed so much from Burnout Paradise. The theme of the game, hops you. it's a cops versus hoons, basically. <laughs> Uh, focuses on dramatic movie-style highway car chases with blockbuster music. Uh, there's you play as both uh, the hoons and the cops as you as you play through the the campaign. So you get two separate progression systems. Um, so with the the races, there's standard races, there's duels, there's time trials, there's takedowns, which is where Criterion feeds back into the their burnout history. The cop missions often involve a lot of power-ups, which is pretty cool. So you can get roadblocks and call in helicopters, trigger EMPs, or, or just, you know, classic drop-the-spikes uh, sort of thing. So Burnout Paradise has, like, kart racer handling. Like, you, you, you'll double-tap that uh, handbrake button and you'll power slide. Uh, so this, this sort of sits between that and more traditional... Uh, sim handling it, it leans more towards the arcade arcadey style it, you you never have to like really slow down to take a corner properly you can power slide around it but it's just the the weighting of the cars is slightly more realistic than than in burnout so um as you play through the missions you learn xp this is how you earn new cars and uh you know uh, unlock all the goodies the visuals are surprisingly not that great before you start a mission it has like a yeah like a camera panning on on an area of the track from that from that race some of the textures in that they just outright look like ps2 textures uh, and part, part of my thought w- with this was um like oh maybe this was one of those cross-generational games between ps2 and you know ps3 era uh, it wasn't and the reason i'm just dis- really disappointed with that is mainly because of grid like you know there's technical reasons for that to be for, the, for there to be that much difference like uh, grid is circuit based so you, you know you've got a, a fairly small track uh, and need for speed has these huge open roads that go for miles and miles and miles so that that that's where I, I guess there needs to be the case that the visuals are slightly uh, toned down uh, for the handling um, but it's just so jarring because Burnout Paradise looks so great uh, and, and run it 60 frames per second whereas need for speed is is locked at 30 the other thing so i'm not not that far into it i've done like a bunch of uh, both sets of uh, missions 
there are some really cool things in some of the uh, cop missions in particular uh, where the rear view mirror it looks like an accessibility move like uh, there's a lot going on you've got um, pedestrian cars you've got cop cars you've got rival racers the rear view mirror sort of just makes everything gray and then color codes opponents versus cops so cops are blue opponents are orange i thought that was really neat and a you know good good ui to help you understand what's happening while you're racing uh i am looking forward to getting back to this one uh I, for me like the the non-open world thing is you know i'm not that bothered about that i'm, I'm the kind of guy who'll sit and play gran turismo for hours happily and you know go around the same track constantly just trying to get better times uh that that's the thing that doesn't bother me so from that perspective yeah, I'm enjoying it a lot so far, and I'm I'm looking forward to getting back to it. Uh, I believe it's one of the, the more highly rated of uh, certainly recent Need for Speeds. There's um, they change the developer every time, kind of like in a, a Call of Duty system, um, and there's always a bad one, and then every so often you'll get one that's really good, and 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 this is definitely one of those uh, better quality ones. So yeah, so that's that. Uh, anything there put you off, Andrew? Uh. Not so much the lack of an open world. Like when I select a race, like does the map make sense? Like, uh, do all the maps fit together into one cohesive environment, or is it just every map is its own map? Uh, every map is its own map, but it fits the the theme. Mm. So, like, you'll select it from a map, and you'll be selecting like a highway, and that's that's the highway that the race will take place on. Um, okay. <laughs> So it's like a vertical slice of a, a U.S. city, <laughs> a U.S. you know uh, terrain. Yeah, I'm um, still waiting on a good price for the, this one because that was kind of what I figured. Yeah, I, I got it on sale, and the the, the so it's a, it was on sale, and I sort of hinted to my wife that it might be something I like for Christmas. Uh, the other thing as well in 2020, a lot of people might find playing as cops a bit weird. Oh yeah. Um, can't blame anyone for that, uh, especially when it's uh, a US-based thing. So, yeah, there is that to consider, but uh, both sides are fun. It's just going to be down to whether you can put that aside for, for that thing. Okay, so that's the races out of the way. Okay, uh, let's talk about Assassin's Creed. So I picked up... Uh, Valhalla for my wife for Christmas and she was enjoying it and I was like oh this looks pretty good I think I'll get it and then I got to thinking about how I dropped the original series on after revelations when I hit the tower defense part because I was just like Ugh, stop putting tower defense in in good games come on sorry you like tower defense I was waiting for you to react to that one <laughs> tower defense are good games <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, so and then I remembered uh, that Andrew said a lot of good things about the uh, Rebel Collection on Switch, so I, I grabbed that. Uh, and uh, yeah, I missed out on the whole uh, seafaring aspect of the series because of that. So the first thing I want to say is about Black Flag. I wish I'd played this at release. <laughs> yes. uh, and it definitely makes me regret dropping the series after Revelations. Well, um, luckily you did get into it just in time for sea shanties to come back. <laughs> yeah, the timing was impeccable. But I remember everyone loving sea shanties when this released, and everyone's like, oh, God, I'm so over sea shanties. Yeah, so this one, uh, you play as a, a pirate slash privateer, 
called Edward Kenway, who kills an assassin, takes his clothes, and then takes his place in the hunt for some money. Uh, turns out the assassin was a defector, taking important information to the Templars. Uh, I like that Kenway's not considered an assassin throughout the entire game, uh, in, you know, until after the game ends. Uh, merely he uses their tools for money and tries to keep out of the war, but uh, the, the theme is him seeing what his greed uh, means to others, and uh, I liked the direction they took with that. I thought that was a, an interesting story. Uh, the other story element I liked was that his right-hand man, Adewale, kept calling him out on casual racism and ignorance. Uh, so just an example for this, Adewale would be talking about where he wants to settle after they're done. Uh, Edward's surprised at his answer and says, wouldn't you feel more at home settling somewhere like Africa? And Adewale's like, I'm from Trinidad. And Edward's like, but surely that'd feel more like home. And then Adewale says, would, would you feel at home living in France? And he's like, good point. <laughs> uh, I thought that was a nice twist. Um, the good thing with these moments is that, you know, unlike a lot of people on social media, Kenway doesn't double down when he's called out on this stuff. He just admits it, learns from it, moves on, and becomes a better person. I, I loved his transition from scumbag to hero. So the, the big thing is that this one mixes sea travel and uh, classic Assassin's Creed stuff. So, you know, you get uh, Edward's ship, the Jackdaw, uh, which you can uh, upgrade as you play by uh, finding the, the right stuff and spending the money. Uh, the handling on this is superb. Like, it was always a joy uh, when on the open seas, and I would often just sail places rather than using fast travel, which was very easy to do. Um, the combat I loved is, you know, all about managing your positioning to get the landing the, the shots on your enemies and then having that choice of whether you're going to board them to, you know, loot them to fix your own ship or adding their ship to your fleet. That's another part of a, a whole system elsewhere or, you know, just continuing to sink it to get them out of the way. The sea shanties also another, you know, small part of why I enjoyed just traveling on the open seas quite a lot. Um, and I like that there's a lot of uh, islands and stuff that are off the beaten path. Like, they're not story essential, but there's lots to find and do. Uh, and it's really well meshed with the, the normal Assassin's Creed stuff. Uh, so, compared to Valhalla, Black Flag has phenomenally clunky stealth. <laughs> um, it took me a while to re readjust to that. Wait, I, Valhalla I has of stealth? Like, yeah, I play yeah. stealthily. I just run in and just um, smash people with my axes. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I had this discussion with someone at work where he was like, if it's, you know, if you get the choice of stealth and action, like if you get powerful enough where you can just run up and yell at someone's gates and fight them in, in bloody combat, he's going to do that. Whereas I'm like, I still treat it as a stealth game, but my um, marker for stealth games is, is it still fun if you get caught? And yes, <laughs> Assassin's Creed is. Um, but yeah, it took me a while because Assassin's Creed has that whole social stealth hide in plain sight aspect. And uh, like, I forgot that like you can't crouch in this one unless you walk into like low grass. So that there's this whole thing where you can't like hide behind a wall properly or <laughs> or anything like that. It sort of loses those traditional stealth elements. Um, also, going from Valhalla's uh, Breath of the Wild-style climb-anything approach to this was also jarring, but 
this one's kind of more satisfying, especially in those the rare moments where they make it a bit puzzly. And yeah, uh, the one thing I will say is when you get the blowpipe, like all all other combat is non-essential. You just hit your target with the blow dart for the with the berserk ammo, and it, you just let that take care of itself and wander off. <laughs> the one th- complaint I did have about the normal Assassin's Creed stuff is that most of the collectibles are just piddly rewards, not worth bothering with. Uh, by the time I'd finished, I'd taken over every four. Um, I had all the the main weapon upgrades. My jackdaw was uh, upgraded to a point where nothing else was touching me. Uh, like I, I was rich. I didn't need the money from doing the other stuff. I, I did do the the secret armor missions, which were pretty good. Um, but like comparing that to Valhalla, the Valhalla stuff is more likely to lead to significant abilities from the books or or funny stories. So yeah, it's it's interesting playing the modern version with the the original version. Um, Andrew, where do you lie on the Abstergo things? Because everybody hates them, and I feel like I'm the outlier in that I love them. What do you mean by the Abstergo things? Like you mean like the real life, uh, like the modern yeah, day where you, settings? You come out of the animus. I yeah. actually really liked Black Flag's modern day settings, where you play as like this employee working for a quote unquote video game company that is clearly a Templar front. Uh, what <laughs> is even funnier because it's also clearly a parody of Ubisoft. So, yes, Ubisoft is trying mm-hmm. to take over the world. They are an evil corporation. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that. It's all played in first person, and you can go around. You can hack into your in your colleagues' computers to find like extra little tidbits of data. But it's also all optional for mm-hmm. the most part. There's a few points in the game where you have to pop out of the Animus to get some plot exposition but it's not that intrusive i was actually a little disappointed that uh the origins trilogy kind of went back to more of a uh a desmond style protagonist in Mm. the modern day because uh that feels a lot more intrusive when those moments come up you like you pop out it's like oh i'm I'm layla again oh no i don't care about this (laughs) but yeah. yeah uh you, you mentioned something about the whole Ubisoft thing. Some of those in-game notes about NDAs and things hit really diff- differently <laughs> after the, um, you know, they're withholding uh, use of abuse and protecting abusers and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Because there's loads of notes about not talking to the public, don't let things get out into the public domain, and it's just like, we sage badly. Oh, no. Or <laughs> were people really getting back at Eves there? <laughs> were they... Yeah. Were they airing public grievances in in the form of parody? Yeah, uh, that that did occur to me. Um, but yeah, other than that, I love finding the clues. I like the law stuff. I like finding all the QR post its, uh, even hacking the computers. I thought yeah, was great. Like one of them even mentions an Assassin's Creed game set at Woodstock. I've been saying it since I mm-hmm. played this. Since I played Black Flag, I would play Assassin's Creed set at Woodstock make it i'm there (laughs) (laughs) i played the dlc as well freedom cry which is about uh, out of la after the events of black flag who becomes an assassin as well Uh, a storm washes him up upon the uh, a town called port-au-prince which is a city that's participating in the slave trade which is obviously something quite personal to out of la so that whole thing is based around freeing slaves across a bunch of world events so you can free them from cages stopping auctions killing abusive employers 
some of them will join an underground faction called the Maroons if you meet certain conditions, um, and if you hit certain levels of both the freed slaves and people who join the Maroons, that's how you unlock your new equipment in this one. Um, I think the theme for this storyline is brilliant, but I, as, as with the disclaimer that I'm a white person, so I, you know, I, don't, I honestly have no say in this whatsoever, I felt the process felt a bit icky, like it's almost treating the slaves as faceless resources, almost as like currency, that, that felt a bit uh, like it flies in the face of the theme. So I think the, the, the right intent was there, but the execution wasn't ideal. Um, other than that, like it's fairly short, um, and despite it being short, there was too many tailing and eavesdropping missions, also known as the least fun things to do in Assassin's <laughs> Creed. Uh, that, that was my, my only real complaint about that. And then I checked out the uh, Aveline DLC, which is just three really short missions that were originally PS3 exclusives. Uh, they're barely worth talking about, um, but the thing I did pick up on was Aveline feels superhuman fast compared to Kenway and Adewale. Uh, she is just like lightning. Um, I, I enjoyed it while it lasts, but yeah, it was just a, a little taster of uh, Aveline flavored Assassin's Creed. Um, pretty linear. Yeah, it was alright. The last part of the Rebel Collection uh, is Assassin's Creed Rogue, which for the first third felt like DLC for the first game. I think it was. Um, no, well, it was a separate release. On no, 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 as in it was meant to be. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but then like, you get past that first third and it starts showing its own identity. So uh, we'll go over the story first. So it's about um, an Irish fellow called Shay Cormac. It's almost like the reverse of black flag story you're a rebellious trainee assassin who then swaps sides to the templars after he sort of accidentally causes a tragedy which he blames the assassins for quite rightly to be honest um <laughs> pretty much levels an entire city uh, in lisbon so when i first heard the premise of a, an assassin becoming a templar and then i played black flag i just assumed that i'd be playing as the assassin that kenway kills at the beginning of that game uh, but it's set many years later uh, and you even meet some of uh, Kenway's lineage uh, later down the line, um, who is also important to Assassin's Creed 3, which I'll get into later. Rogue's map is split into the three distinct sections, so you get two open seas areas, and then you get uh, a New York uh, map, which is like where the traditional Assassin's Creedy stuff happens. Um, I found they were more densely packed than Black Flags, so like on the open world, on the open seas, like the major places you need to get to are actually quicker to travel to than, than in Black Flag. Um, so it kind of gave it this false impression that there was more to do. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just they pack more stuff in. It was developed in tandem with Black Flag, but it has weird button differences. Uh, so like in Black Flag, right bumper brings up the eyeglass when you're on the boat, but on Rogue it's on the D-pad. Um, and it uses the same weapons as tools as Black Flag, um, but they move where they are about on the quick select, which was really, uh, really put me off uh, for the first couple of hours or so. But the one thing with this one is the upgrade path is a lot quicker and easier than it is in Black Flag, um, and I feel like that's on purpose to help people not feel burned out uh, and you know not feel like they're going through the same thing twice over. Like I had much most of the, the good abilities uh, well before the halfway point. And I think Rogue 
is more successful in some ways in that it mixes up the story missions a bit more uh like it'll occasionally ditch the open world for big puzzle rooms or you know like massive set pieces the bit where you're trying to escape uh lisbon falling is brilliant i love that um it's a little bit uncharted uh which is uh something i enjoy uh the other thing where they that they do different here is the templar hqs and the gang gang hangouts that you can you can take over and they bring in elements of like Brotherhood's multiplayer here. So when you get there, there'll be like a a leader who uh, has the same skills as you do. They can blend in. They can hide in things. They can sit with crowds, and you you have to kill them by surprise and then take the flag. There might be a few other objectives, um, but I I really enjoyed those. And the second I came up, I just went well across the map trying to take over all these uh, hideouts. And when you take them, then you start passively earning uh, money in the background, which, you know, again, much like Black Flag, I was even richer in this game from a quicker point and didn't really want for anything. So I, I think it did some interesting things. I, I liked Connor's story. It's fun to play the other side of that because, uh, you know, often the series makes out that Templars and the Assassins want the same thing. They just have just drastically different approaches to it. One one is about freedom, one is about control. Um, and I was also worried they wouldn't contextualise Connor's turn that well, but I thought, I thought it was pretty well done. Uh, Andrew, anything you want to add to, to that? Not really. Um, like I said last year, Black Flag is the star of this package and everything else is just kind of a pack-in bonus. Even Rogue kind of feels that way, even though it's a full game unto itself, but uh, Rogue just it didn't have the same feel to it that Black Flag did, and uh, I think that's largely down to the environment. It just didn't feel as good to get around in. Like the river that you can take the boat into is it's just kind of annoying to navigate. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that was yeah. annoying. Um, and also, I'm one of those that tries to ruin the experience for myself by you know finding something I enjoy doing and then trying to do all of it. Yeah, so uh, I also picked up Assassin's Creed 3, uh, which I've started, but I've not uh, finished yet. So just a couple of things to talk about on this one. Um, I totally forgot that the older games had a fast walk button. Um, And I think I like this control system better than Black Flags, which kind of simplified that a little bit. Um, I feel like I've got more control in Assassin's Creed 3 and it's easier to blend in when I need to. Also, uh, and I don't know if this falls in line with the remastered thing, uh, I think Assassin's Creed 3 runs better than Black Flag does on Switch, hmm. uh, whereas Re- Rebel Collection, I think, is just straight ports of like the PS3 era versions, whereas um, this is a remastered version of, of the original Assassin's Creed 3. Well, I remember when Assassin's Creed 3 first came out on Switch. Uh, I didn't play it at the time, but I guess it was pretty rough, so... They've done a lot of work on it since. That this. might be why it runs so much better because the Rebel Collection, mm. I played it at launch. It was fine. Yeah, and mm-hmm. let me also just say on Black Flag, it's one of the best looking games on Switch too because that was... Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the open sea stuff, yeah. the water looks amazing, yeah. especially when the weather's <laughs> bad. So yeah, the uh, like on Assassin's Creed 3, I'm, I'm finding, finding the uh, parkour a bit less clunky as well. Like I'm accidentally snapping to the wrong path less here 
And the other thing is I didn't realize how connected Black Flag, Rogue, and Assassin's Creed 3 were, uh, and to a lesser extent Unity, because there's a hint of that at the end of Rogue. My previous experiences with Assassin's Creed was that only the out of animus characters provided the continuity, so you know, Desmond Miles, etc. etc. Whereas the villain I, I won't get it <laughs> the villain this is the son of Edward Kenway from mm-hmm. Black Flag, which came after Assassin's Creed three. All that is played out as like it it, it was obviously meant to be a twist in Assassin's Creed 3, that you, you spend a portion of the time playing as someone and then you figure out that they're not who, who you think they are. Um, and then they explore his origins in Black Flag and Rogue. Although like that was the intent, like this should have been the opening portion of Assassin's Creed 3 should have been a twist. I'm kind of glad I've played them the other way around, because I feel like it explains uh, Kenway's son, Haytham, and his place in it all uh, a bit clearer. Than I would have had the in the you know the release order. Um, so yeah, I hadn't realised the storylines were so conjoined in this this little section before they rebooted. But yeah, I'm not that far into it yet. I haven't actually uh, made the switch to the to Connor, uh, who is the you know the poster boy. Um, yeah, so looking to delve more into that, I'll, I'll we'll pick that up again later, and I'll. I'll talk about hopefully the DLC and, and Liberation as well. Okay, let's uh, round off the uh, Ubisoft games now uh, with Scott Pilgrim versus The World, the game. I said before that um, this is easily my favourite side-scrolling beat-em-up, which admittedly is not a genre I'm massively overly fond of, with a few exceptions, one of them Streets of Rage 4. Um, I still believe that after replaying it. So we'll, we'll we'll get into it the the reasons why. Um, some of my reasons are actually only really pertinent for that first playthrough as well. So, so it's a side scrolling beat 'em up based on Brian Lee O'Malley's uh, graphic novel and the the movie of the same name, Scott, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Uh, you play a Scott who likes a girl called Ramona, and in order to be able to date her, he has to, to uh, battle her uh, seven evil exes. So you, you go through levels, as you do in any standard side-scrolling beat-em-up, uh, but this one has RPG systems, it has a lot of things to find, uh, you will collect money that you can then spend in shops uh, to replenish your health, or your guts power, which is like your special move. Uh, you can get items to go, so you can replenish your health whenever you need. Um, but some items give you permanent stat boosts, so... The most effect- cost-effective way to do that is to save up $505 and clear Scott's video rental late fees, and then you can buy items there. will increase your stats by 10, and you can just do that until they're maxed out. Uh, the other option is to find Wallace's hidden store in level 1. Look for stars in the background if you want to find it. Um, and if you find it, spend cash on the bionic arm in the early game because it just makes it way more manageable. Um, and if you get that twice, then you start, your strength stat is maxed out, and it's really the only one you need to <laughs> to beat the game. To but that does mean replaying levels to earn more coin to be able to afford things. The, the the shop elements is what I really liked about it. Like it wasn't just a straight get from point A to point B, side scroll and beat them up. There are things to find. There are secrets. There are hidden shortcuts. There are a whole multitude of things to do while you're playing it. 
the downside of that is that that the early portion of the game can feel really intimidating until you realize what you're meant to be doing. Just uh, now, Andrew, I know you didn't like the grind. No, Mm-mm. at all. No. Okay. Now, part part of that is I I knew what I was doing when I came into it, so I I obviously don't have that initial difficulty factor anymore. Um. So, is this the first time you played this? Yeah, it is. So yeah, it do, it doesn't tell you that you need to do any of this stuff. It it doesn't even tell you you can go into the shops. I walked right past them the first time because I thought there was <laughs> background decoration. Yeah, I always try and go in the doors. <laughs> um. So yeah, so I I can completely get where you're coming from. Bef- before we get into what you didn't like about it, uh, other things I loved is the art style because it's uh, more in more in line with the graphic novels. Uh, I adore the soundtrack. And the other complaint that I think is completely valid. Now I've I've never actually beat it with another character other than Scott, but I I did start with a couple of the other characters and they feel quite similar mm. to Scott in terms of the move set. I think that's definitely a downside. But yeah, just that I, I love that first playthrough. Uh, I also um, I do have one other complaint. So the movie and the books are the theme is about Scott realizing that he's a <laughs> person and wanting to change that. The ending for Scott for this game just completely throws that out of the window. <laughs> Where it's com- it's way tone deaf. Um, so yeah, that that was the other thing. Now that's something I didn't pick up on the original because it was like lol, cool video games. Definitely got <laughs> definitely caught it this time. Um, yeah, so that was disappointing. But I don't know if that if they changed the context of that by beating it with any other character. Did you beat it with anyone else? No, I only played as Scott too, uh, just because his name was. On the game title, so, uh, mm-hmm. but Ramona is supposed to have the ending that's closest to the actual ending of the graphic novel, which makes no whatever to me. I've never read it, and I, I have mm-hmm. seen the movie, and uh, I didn't like the movie that much. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I, I like the movie. I, I've ordered the books because you can't get them digitally here in Australia for no reason whatsoever. So I've ordered a box set, and they're taking forever. But uh... so, was your main problem with it the grind? My main problem with it was the grind, and on top of that, once you've grinded your way to the top of Grind Mountain, the beat 'em up that's there is just average. <laughs> like, uh, my experience with beat 'em ups is by no means comprehensive, but I've certainly played a lot more than Andy, and I just was like, "Yeah, this is this is a beat 'em up, all right." I've played many of these. Uh, and this is another one. I, I just, with the reputation this game has, which I think has mostly been built up just over the fact that you couldn't get it for so long, uh, I just expected more than what's here. And like I said, I haven't read the comics, so uh, I didn't understand a lot of the references that are going on. Like, there's all these background characters everywhere. I'm sure everything in this is probably an Easter egg to somebody who's read the comics. Mm-hmm. For me, it was just like people standing around in the background hi how are you <laughs> yeah i just um, i yeah though i i did enjoy the way the combat evolves because I, uh, I didn't mention you get xp for every enemy you beat every time you level up you get a new ability grind 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 use. grind and I, I didn't find the grind that long like i had it beat in three hours yeah like i actually stopped purposely to go back and grind to max out all the stats before I did the last level. So did I. Um, yeah, I didn't mind the grind because I, I, I always found the combat fun enough that I wanted to do it, which is definitely not something I can extend to 
to other games, maybe not even in this genre, but yeah, just like um, when you play TMNT two, the arcade game, you can jump kick right from the start. It's right there in your starting move set. You don't have to grind a level twelve or whatever it is for absolutely no reason at all before you can jump kick. It's just there. Uh, but some of those abilities are also um, useful for some of the tougher enemies that you have to fight. The the thing I also liked about the grinding is that I would often go back to the first level. Uh, for the money, because it's got that hidden highway, rainbow highway. And uh, mm. yeah, just when you get to the end boss fight of that, you can get him in, in three hits, which is... Um, <laughs> I'm going to compare it to the Souls games, sorry, Andrew, um, where you know, you, you'll you go back to an old area to go look at something you couldn't look at before, and you're just you know, cutting down enemies really easily. I, I just love that. I don't know why. It's the... <laughs> It's that feeling of progression. Um, well, I just felt like at the start, enemies were taking way too long to beat. Like, the first level took me almost a half an hour to finish, which is ridiculous for a beat-em-up game. And then after I got my strength stat maxed out, and I was like, oh, this is what a beat-em-up is supposed to feel like. Why did it take three hours to get to this point? <laughs> I, I liked it, because I feel it had more going on than most most side-scrollers. So yeah, so that's that. Two, an- two Andrews, uh, they disagree. Which one should you kill? The other guy, it's him. Um, sorry, that was meant to be like the evil twin thing. I'd... Let's forget that. <laughs> you made a pigeon rat. Come at me, bro. I will destroy you. It, it was basically Scott Pilgrim versus the world, but also Andy versus those that are wrong. <laughs> which one of us is Andy and which one of us is Nega Andy? <laughs> Yeah, you're the guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott um, is a really nice guy, so it must be Andy yeah. is is the Nega Andy. Oh man! And I'm the original. Uh, yeah, and that's the other thing. Like in the, I think I think this is true in the books, but in in the film, like he just you know accepts Nega Scott as himself, and they get on, and like oh yeah, cool. <laughs> and then this, you have to actually fight him. It's like no, that doesn't happen. Uh, yeah, but they wanted seven levels, but there's actually, you have to fight the twins as one boss fight, so you have mm. to work an extra boss in there somehow. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, so that's Scott Pilgrim. Uh, I recommend it. Andrew, less so. Uh, Tori, are you going to play it? I've already played it when it first came out. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't think it was anything special. I don't know how to, yeah. Boo. Like, I, I was pretty big into the Scott Pilgrim. I read all the books, saw the movie, but the, um, yeah, the game just didn't grab me, I guess. But I, I don't really play beat-em-ups like that, so maybe I just didn't understand it. So maybe I will revisit it, see if, like, a new perspective on the genre will help. Uh, now, I, did, I, I got a code for this one, but I have ordered the uh, physical copy as well. So, uh, I look forward to getting that in many, many, many months from now. <laughs> uh, Detention. Yes. Sorry, that's one you've been playing. Andrew, have you played this or am I thinking of something else? Uh, I think you're thinking of something else. Um, you're probably thinking of... It was of... the... The Coma. Yeah, the Coma. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's the one I was thinking of. Uh, yeah, so uh, Tori, what's the Detention about? So this... Or Detention. It's a horror game... I always find like the horror games that don't necessarily have monsters and supernatural stuff that kind of deal more with 
real life and, you know, people kind of being the real monsters, but not in that cliche way, but this goes into that. It actually delves into the history of um, Taiwan during what was something called the, the white period, I think it was. Uh, it was a history of um, a period of kind of censorship and government control. It's set from the perspective of a, a student in a in a Taiwanese school. It's hard to describe without spoiling stuff, but basically, uh, you you play as this student who wakes up and the school is kind of in a sort of it, there's a typhoon. So the river outside, it's flooded, but it's bright red. You can't escape. The school is full of these sort of humanoid creatures. I can't remember the name of them specifically, but you have to uh, avoid them, go through the school, find items, get an idea of like piecing it all together, what's going on while also solving puzzles. So it's kind of like a point and click adventure in that regard. But I liked that the puzzles weren't particularly complex. It's more just kind of finding the nerve and kind of creating this intrigue that actually pays off. Uh, it, it quite often gives you like these big information drops of what's going on. And you kind of you get these pieces to put together and you get start putting it all together and but not, not in a way where you know exactly what's going on. You just know parts of the story and you start learning how those parts fit together. But it's never really about hiding from the monsters and everything. It's about kind of realizing just how awful human history really is, how we treated each other, all in the name of, you know, control. Sorry, did you say history and not present? It is, it's set in like, <laughs> <laughs> it's set in like, I think the thirties. Mm -hmm. So there are some familiar items around, but um, it, it's one of those games where after you beat it, you'll start wanting to know a little bit more about the period because it goes into things like um, controlling the media that the students are consuming that's the word um there's lots of references to a book club that one of the teachers is running where they're smuggling in sort of contraband books so it's one of those it's not an open rebellion it's just behind closed doors people aren't happy with the situation but everyone's kind of in agreement that you know we can't speak out loud about what's going on but we can still you know keep our minds open but uh it, it goes into some nasty topics like um kind of abusing that control that the government can have mm -hmm. again it's hard to describe without spoiling some major plot points but it, it goes into the whole idea of you know patriotism and abusing that patriotism just to kind of reach selfish gains so you're telling me that video games can be political? In in this case, yes. <laughs> um, this is actually, it's been developed by a, I'm pretty sure the studio is also 
from Taiwan. They wanted to kind of tell their own history through video games. Mm-hmm. And it's just a shame that it's kind of manifested in a horror genre. Mm-hmm. But it does suit the story that it's telling. Um, I should look up the, the developer real quick because there was some recent hubbub about one of their other games, Red Candle Games. They made another game called Devotion. Yep. Which they, they kind of accidentally slipped some anti-CCP uh, meme in it. Oh, okay. And now nobody wants to release it. Oh, wow. And it's a shame because people are going, oh, we don't want politics in our video games, but it's a very politically charged video game to begin with. <laughs> so I, I guess I just want to call some attention to that, that it's not nice that... It, sure, they made a mistake, Um they, they compared the leader to Winnie the Pooh, like many people like to do. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, for that reason, the well, game is just not getting released anywhere. So and now we're yeah. never going to get released in China. Well, I'm oh, sorry. Well. <laughs> you can edit me out, censor me, go on. Um, it's, it's just an issue that I, I find important. It, it goes into, you know, Taiwanese culture and history. And just because of that, they're getting censored. It's not nice. If you see the game on sale and you're interested, please pick it up. But in the meantime, check out Detention. It's a really well-crafted horror game. It's not overly scary. It's just tense. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, highly recommend. Nice. There's one on the list I nearly forgot about, uh, Donut County. Yeah. Uh, which, which I played. Uh, have you played it before then, Tori, yes. judging by that? Uh, and I think Andrew's played it before. Yeah, I played it. Yeah. Uh, so first thing, it's a lovely day in Donut County and you are a terrible hole. <laughs> um, I, uh, I only say that because of the art style. Um, so uh, I downloaded this on Game Pass. So I technically played it on PC, uh, but it is available on Switch. I believe it runs perfectly fine. Yeah, I played it yeah, on it's, Switch. It's, it's good. Yeah, uh, and it's kind of like reverse uh, Katamari, yep. uh, where you play a hole and you have to swallow everything up, uh, and that makes the hole get bigger, and you can get bigger stuff. And um, I had no preconceptions of what this game was going in, other than that central conceit. Um, and what I found was that the gameplay just served a silly little story, rather than being particularly puzzly. So you play, well, you play as the whole, but the main characters are BK, a raccoon, who works at a donut shop, and his human colleague, Mira. Uh, and you're basically trapped underground with Donut County's other uh, survivors, and they're recounting their stories about what happened to them and what led them down into the hole. Uh, and BK is the culprit, <laughs> judging by everyone's ire. Uh, who has destroyed the town with an app that deploys the hole that you play on. We fell into the pit. <laughs> we uh, fell into the pit. Any Parks and Rex fan out there? No? Okay. Uh, I haven't seen <laughs> I got it. <laughs> it. It's one of those shows that everyone like talks about as if it's amazing. I, I just haven't got it. There's another one like that as well. Um, the Good Place. I know I should watch it. Shut up. Andy. Just from the conceit, I expected the game to be more puzzly, more taxing, um, whereas really it's just quite a relaxed puzzle, like really like low-key puzzle. 
elements um and like those puzzle elements involve maybe like a the catapult that you can use in the hole when you get certain items to, to help you progress uh the most puzzly part is the like the last mission and much of it is just about the the funny banter between the characters um, I did so, like some of the nice little touches where if you collect corn from the desert, but then the desert heat makes it pop and shoot back out yes. of the hole, and then you have to collect it again. Um, yeah, it wasn't what I what I was expecting, but I kind of enjoyed my my little two hours with it. Um, I sort of feel like they recognised what they had and what they were going for, and didn't really want to stretch it out beyond that. Um, it was a good time. I, 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 would I play it again? Probably not. Uh, but I enjoyed the character interactions um, probably more than anything. Um, Tori, did you enjoy this one? I did. I actually beat this one in a single sitting. Yes, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. It's basically like playing a cartoon, mm-hmm. like a, an episode of a cartoon, and I, I just adored it for that. It's it's not trying to be anything else. It, it was like a, an episode of regular show or something like that. Exactly. <laughs> well, probably because of the raccoon. Huh? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> Uh, and Andrew, I cannot remember where you landed on this. I wasn't that impressed by it. Um, like the puzzles weren't that challenging. Like mm-hmm. you just you swallow things in order of size. Basically, is mm-hmm. the entire game. It basically you're sorting things in order of size, and then uh, the story and the characters. Just I didn't laugh once. It's just I wasn't impressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I liked the banter between everyone. And uh, yeah, I sort of I I got straight away that the puzzles weren't really the point, but yeah. Um, but I did find out it was uh, from the same publisher of What Remains of Edith Finch, another game I Ooh. finished in one sitting. Segway. Uh, yeah, segway, segway, segway. Tori, have you played this one? Yes. Andrew, you've recently played this one. Yes. And I only played this one because you played this one. It's the only reason you play anything. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to let that go. <laughs> Doesn't mean you're right. I'm just recognizing. So what remains of Edith Finch is a is what we call a walking simulator. Uh, it has shades of Gone Home in that you are someone returning to an old house that they used to live in to find to, to explore and find out uh, what the hell had happened. Or they're revisiting what happened. You're finding out through them, basically. Um, and in this one you are to discover what became of uh, generations of a cursed family through the eyes of its surviving member, Edith. You walk through the forest, you get to this big house that they definitely should demolish, because that is ridiculously unsafe, and I don't know how they got planning permission for much of it. Especially with that curse. Uh, well, it's going on with that left side of the house. Um <laughs> So you, you go through it, you go into the house, and you find out that uh, every member of the family that's lived there has had their room boarded up, sealed, and with a, a peephole by the uh, the mother of the character. And you sort of work your way through, you you solve puzzles, you, uh, yeah, you look at things, it sort of leads you through, like it's pretty linear, it leads you through in a way where it doesn't feel particularly linear, and uh, each of the previous generations uh, like you'll go into their room and you'll find out what made them tick and, and what became of them um, like there's no way to explain this without it sounding uninteresting but every part of the story in this game is 
fantastically written. Uh, I it was one of those like I finished it in a sitting, but I kind of wish it was longer because I wanted to hear more of it. it it's it's just a, an intriguing plot from start to finish. Also has that uh, element uh, of Gone Home where everything feels sinister, but whereas that turned out not to be this this one does stay quite sinister throughout. Um, Andrew, what did you make of the plot? It's hard without spoiling it. All together. <laughs> Oh, I didn't like how the plot ended, to be honest. <laughs> that was like my, my one complaint about the game was uh, that the ending was too obvious and I thought the imagery that accompanied it was kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so like the plot itself I could do without, but its individual components uh, I loved. Uh, I particularly loved the different ways in which each family member's story plays out. Uh, so you've got like one of them is a the the loner gamer in his little loft room, um, and his his version plays out in kind of like a video game. Uh, compared that to like the first family member's room you get into, who has a fantasy that they turn into a cat and you you play out as the cat. Is this too spoilerish? No, no, good. Um, <laughs> and then you know, and and that's how you explore the family history. I I love that, and I, I every room I went into, I couldn't wait to find out what what the conceit was of of that whole storyline. Um, sorry, what did you make of the story? I yeah, I I think I'm with Andrew in that it's not so much about the overall story, but the individual components. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the set pieces really stuck out to me. Like I played it a while ago, so foggy memory but mm. i remember that one stage at the cannery really well yeah that, that was terrific yeah um now the thing because i played it on pc the thing that uh this was also on game pass as well so if you have game pass you have no excuse not to play this game highly recommend it um they for the pc version they used the mouse in really interesting ways as like contextual motions i was just wondering how that compared to consoles so like so, so like the cannery section there's a whole thing where you're just getting the fish and you're putting its head in the chopper and then throwing it away that's all on the pc that's all done through the mouse and it feels like you're actually doing it how do, how well does that translate on a controller i'm not even sure how that translates on pc because on console uh, I, that level feels designed for gamepads because you, oh, well. you control, you control the character's right hand with the right joystick, and you move the character through the dreamscape with the left joystick. Oh and wow! Okay, I, I yeah, can't even envision sense. how that works on PC. Like usual walking controls, so WASD. Oh, yeah. WASD. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it feels the opposite on PC, doesn't it? That yeah. it feels like it was designed for mouse and keyboard. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> what I was gonna say. That's amazing. That's cool. Okay, I, I would happily replay this then on console. Yeah, so. Uh, one of the things that um, put me off playing this for quite a while, despite all the great reviews, was uh, a game that wasn't even related to this, but uh, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. Um, I yeah. tried playing that on PS4, and the story bugged out and something wouldn't trigger. And I restarted it again, and I got to the same point, and it wouldn't trigger again, and I just gave up, and I was, I've was i been terrified that this was going to be... You know, it's it's unfair, you know, association, but it was just that thing I had with the the genre, even though I've loved other entries in in this sort of, you know, 
discovery genre. I don't want to call it a walking sim. It's like a discovery, like first person discovery thing. Um, yeah, so that that was my main concern as to what put me off playing it for so long. But then uh, after you you tweeted about it, I was like, okay, yeah, definitely got to give it a look. Yeah, the the only negative I really had was its length. I kind of wish it was a bit longer because I'd, I'd like more of it. But then, is there too? Would there be too many uh, family members and generations to go through in that case? Uh, um, have either of you played Unfinished Swan? No. No. Cool. So you wouldn't have recognised the references uh, with the paintings. Probably not. I read no. about them. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's the, there's some uh, some things from Finished Swan fans in this. Uh, Tori, you should play that. Okay. Uh, which is by the same developer. Um, and you know, there's a few uh, fan theories around that uh, what happens in Unfinished Swan is canonical to to this, but I, it's a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> if you ask me. Uh, but yeah, uh, so that's that. Andrew, you'd recommend? Definitely, yes. Sorry? Oh, yeah, 100%. And let's round it off as a hat trick of recommendations. Yeah, definitely play it. Um, if you've got Game Pass, you've got no uh, excuse for that. Just get on it. It's it's fun. Even if you've never really played a walking sim or you're, um, you know, you're put off by the idea of it. Give it a go, honestly. It, it, the the writing in it is fantastic, and uh, I enjoyed it from start to finish. I think it's the walking sim to get somebody into walking sims. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so that's it. That should be it for the show, then. Okay, what are we playing in the coming week? Andrew? Something from the backlog. I haven't decided yet. And sorry? I think I'm in the same boat. <laughs> <laughs> Killing time until Mario. Well, it's a hat trick as well, because, uh, yeah, that's me. Um, so I did pick up a couple of games while we were on on hiatus. Uh, I picked up Door Kickers, uh, which I ummed and ahed about because of the whole police thing, the whole US police thing. But, uh, yeah, by all accounts, it's a good game, so I, I decided to plump on that on sale. It was like seven bucks. Uh, and I also picked up uh, a game just before Christmas called Ashen, which I want to uh, give a real go-to, but I should probably finish the Assassin's Creed 3 collection first. Um, but yeah, Ashen is definitely one I want to look at, because it seems right up my alley. Okay, and that's it for episode 139. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Uh, make sure to check out our sister shows. They're not back from hiatus yet. But, uh, that's PlayStation and The Power of X. That's a PlayStation show and an Xbox show. Uh, and we're all part of the game Podular Network. Um, so, yeah, check those shows out. Uh, you can also join our Discord server to interact with the game Podular community. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at gamepodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links for all those things are in our show notes. If you'd like to support the show uh, or the network, and by extension us, you can buy us a coffee, or you can become a Game Podular Patreon. Details for both of these things are on our website. Thanks in advance. Uh, this episode was edited by Andrew. Uh, you can follow him at Play Critically. You can also read his long-form reviews over at playcritically.com. Uh, you can follow the rest of us on, on Twitter. I'm at Flame Roast Toast, and Tori is at Stew2. That's S-T-W-T-W-O. Yeah. Yeah.
titillating titillation 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 titillating Sailor, what will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? Heard I in the morning. Way up she rises, way up she rises, way up she rises, heard I in the morning. Put him in the scuppers with the hose pipe on him. Put him in the scuppers with the hose pipe on him. Put him in the scuppers with the hose pipe on him. Heard I in the morning. Way up she rises. Way up she rises. Way up she rises. Heard I in the morning. Put him in the brig until he's sober. Put him in the brig until he's sober. Put him in the brig until he's sober. Heard I in the morning. Wait up, she rises. Wait up, she rises. Wait up, she rises. Heard I in the morning.